I'm Catherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the episode that helped me decide the name for this podcast. As we're discussing difficult topics pertaining to the church, we don't always have the right answers. So I propose one option is to grow comfortable with the discomfort of uncertainty. Hence the podcast title, Uncertain. In this episode, I'm talking with Alex Scott, photographer, actor, and my former colleague. It didn't feel like that was appropriate, but in my mind, I'm like, should I say that? Like, am I a bad Christian because I didn't attribute my good energy to Jesus? We'll discuss topics such as deconstruction, embodiment, and moving towards each other with a posture of openness. We'll discuss the theme of sitting in the unknown with the unanswered questions, something that, if you grew up in a faith-based community like I did, you know it's almost impossible to do. Because you have to have the right answers. And if you don't have the right answers, you need to find it fast. And once you've found it, don't you dare let anyone get away with believing anything different. Sound familiar? Then you'll totally relate with what we discussed today. Before you listen, I encourage you to take a deep breath, make a pot of tea, and just be here. You would consider yourself kind of in deconstruction right now? I feel like that word doesn't completely resonate with me. I do like, I think words that might be closer to my, truer of my experience are like examination, critique, reframing. Um, I think reframing really resonates. So if that for more or less is deconstruction, I'm willing to go with that too. But I kind of like reframe and critique, um, examine. Mm -hmm. That seems more true. Like, especially around language and what do we really mean when we say X, Y, and Z? And if there can be a consensus on what that means, do I agree with it? Um, Stuff like that. I've really enjoyed the conversations that we've had about different things and your perspective on things and how I'm not ever, for lack of a better phrase, doubting your salvation, but it's not, it's not within this like evangelical sphere and you don't use like Christianese phrases, which I'm very sensitive to. I'll use them kind of by default just because it's the world that I'm in and other people understand it. And so I'll like use those words, but I don't, I don't like Christian phrases. And so I think that I really enjoyed speaking to you, enjoy in the present tense, because you don't use Christian phrases. And like, just, I remember just like handing you announcements at church and like wanting you to like pull out the things that were too, too Jesus-y. So I really appreciated that about you. What do you think brought on your examination? Or have you always been that way when it comes to evangelicalism? I mean, a couple of things come to mind when you ask that. One big one is I think that it's when I think of evangelicalism, I'm not very, I, 
if someone were to be like, what does that mean? Honestly, I probably can't define it well. What does it mean? So when I say that, it's probably thinking of experiences within churches or bodies that identify as evangelical and and letting that inform me of what I think, how I respond to the word or the term evangelical, even if it isn't maybe a textbook answer. So one, I would be curious to know what, how you define evangelicalism for the sake of this conversation. And then um, what kind of led to that? I think I've always liked to examine um, language around the language that I use to articulate my experience of life. Um, but I, I think up until maybe about a year ago, maybe more than a year, I, I was very comfortable in kind of like a certain playground of language that was maybe very reformed. You know, you would like, you would just quote an author and it was an author that if I heard the name, I would be like, I would just have more of, um, I would make myself more accessible to what was being said because it was attributed to an author that I trusted because they were part of the playground and, um, and maybe wouldn't examine it that closely. But I think I've always examined language. Um, but I think that I've found a lot of the times like we would use this Christianese as like a shorthand, which I do think is okay. And I think every kind of culture has a shorthand. So I think I'm not always, I don't always respond in an alert in an allergic way to Christian shorthand, but if I feel that it's not embodied, I kind of get suspicious. And so I guess for me, it's, to me, it's more about, do I sense, especially with Christianese, like, do I sense that the person talking, myself included, is it this deep embodied experience that I'm articulating through these words or do I, do I just know the right thing to say? And I think where it, it's more difficult to listen to the language is like, I don't, I think that person might just be saying it, or I think I might just be saying it because it's the right thing to say and people will just let it go. And that is probably been more recently what I don't love. I guess my goal is to be able to talk to anyone on a human level. Um, not in a way that we, we have the exact same knowledge of things, but just in a way that we can even have a conversation that seems to dignify the other person's language and story, no matter where they're coming from. So. When you said embodied phrasing and making sure that they're embodied, can you flesh that out a little bit more, what you mean by that and wh- or what that means to you? When I think of embodiment, I think of it's sort of just this full like gut, heart, mind combination of something that's very true and to the person. And I think that it's almost like a thread. I mean, I find this in people that even if I don't necessarily agree with everything they're saying, there's a consistency of like a thread of thought or core value or something that everything they're saying, you feel like it springs from the same core belief and can be traced back down um, to something really deep within them instead of just sort of reciting things they've, information they've gleaned in their head that seems to be true 
but it's not, hasn't made that like connection to something on a deeper level in their life. And so when I think embodiment, I think something that just goes all the way down and connects to what someone's like deepest core value is or deepest belief is. What do you think of people who respond to a specific theological question? Maybe they don't have an embodied response to the, to answer that question. And they say, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Yeah. I mean, I'd much rather say someone say that than try to appease me by saying what they think I might want to hear. Do you see a disconnect between, so say someone who is speaking from a cerebral place and they're just spouting facts, spouting knowledge, what, what problem might that pose? just in general, for the church? I mean, the word that comes to mind, this might not be a direct answer to what you just asked, but is, is presence. And I think when I think of embodiment, I think as, I think also think of full presence. And when I look at scripture and look at Jesus encounters with people, um, like I never get the sense that he's not fully present with someone. Like I never get the sense that he's distracted or, I mean, other things might be on his mind, but there's a sense of like a specific timing, you know, there's not like nothing is rushed or there's just a sense of, I can be fully where I am in the presence of the person I'm with. And that's enough for that moment. And so I think that when I think of Jesus, I think of him as a very present human being. And, and so I would say that, I mean, I I would almost say that I think full presence or embodiment is a strong testimony to what is most true um, that we see in Jesus as well. And, you know, things appear. I think that's, fine. And I think there's a place for that. But I think you can have all all centers of being engaged. And I think that what that does for a human connection is whether or not we'd be able to recognize it and then articulate this is what's going on. I think it, um, I think it's just more human. And I think it's more in touch with what is true and good and beautiful. And what I see as held up as, you know, high encounters or high relationships in scripture. Um, and so, and then just from personal experience, you know, when I'm in the presence of someone who is fully present, it, it seems like a sacred moment. Um, I was with Axler today doing the sermon and just briefly before we started, I was just sharing, you know, something that, has just been hard for me during um, quarantine, during the season. And he just, and I stopped speaking and he just stood there and like took in, getting emotional, took in everything I had just said. And we both just paused and like stood there. And it's like, we were both holding the weight of what I was saying, like in our beings. And as, because he's a pastor and as a pastor, I'm like, this, this is, like everything 
pastoral is happening in this moment just by being fully present. Wow. And I'm like, that's all I needed. It was like 10 seconds of silence, but he was fully, fully holding or bearing all that I had just said. And then I was able to not rush by it and be like, okay, let's shoot. But I was like, recognize the sacred moment and was like, let's just be here with everything that's uncomfortable and difficult and just be here. And I feel like that's, I feel like that's Jesus. I feel like that's the Christ reality um, in relationship. So that's really, really, really powerful. I think this is, I think this is a significant subject because with my, my subject for, for the podcast, which is the church and talking about all the topics that we don't want to talk about and diving into a lot of painful things that are hidden that have caused a lot of pain for a lot of people. This subject is actually a way forward and we need that too. We need to be able to look at stuff that is messed up and be able to call it out. But we also need a way forward and a what do we do now and experiences like you had are the kind of things that I think everyone wants. How do we get there, Alex? Let me just give you all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> From your brain only. Not From my brain only. No embodiment, please. I think the way we get there is it's almost like being able to – I mean, for me today, how I, what I would say based on my experience is learning to hold my tongue. And, and I just – it makes me think of, you know, small group discussions that one may have at some time if they're ever part of a church, like in a small group, and, and how – sometimes it's like someone might say something really difficult for them to say or ask a question that's a really good question. And the impulse might be to, you know, with words or with a verse or with a right answer, you know, be really quick on the trigger because from good intentions, because you want to help that person take the journey but I think a lot of the times it's it's learning to hold your tongue. And even if you think you have like the best thing to say to this person, to give space, to, it's almost like you just honor someone's vulnerability or you honor someone's hardship um, before you jump in. And I think that's a really small practical way that we can work on full presence and embodiment because what happens in that silence and when you kind of catch on to like, this is not a rushed space and this is not a space where our goal is to find the answer. Then you start to like, the time starts to like get into your, like the time allows you time to get into your body more. And I think it's just, it's a little automatic. Um, because when we're talking from the heart, um, and if there's any level of vulnerability, it will do its work in the body. Um, 
And I think that if it's not interrupted, but I think so much of the time, especially in the church, we feel like we have this responsibility to make sure that person knows the right answer to their question. Um, and it just, yeah, it short circuits the whole thing. So why do your you time? pause? Yeah, <laughs> just be quiet. Just shut up. Um, why do you think we do that? Why do you think we as a human race need to have the right answer? And very specifically, going back to evangelicalism and what is evangelicalism and what do we call evangelicalism? I'm just for the sake of this conversation, I'm just going to say modern day evangelical church that exists in the Western world. That's what I'm going to talk. That's what I'm going to refer to as evangelicalism. Why do you, why do you think that we feel like we need the right answers and that that is very important in that moment, in that small group, when that person is sharing how difficult things are for them, why do we default to that? Why do you think that is? There could be a lot of reasons depending on the person. Um, but I think some that ring true for me or have in the past are just wanting to, you know, assuage someone's fear or worry or um, kind of diminish their pain for a moment. I mean, I think that's very human too, to be like, you're in pain or you're in doubt or, and you just want there to be peace. I mean, I think it's a quest for peace, which I think is like lovely, um, a lovely quest. The another reason might be a sense of allegiance to God or feeling like God wants us to proclaim the truth. And here's an opportunity to proclaim the truth. And in some way it can be turned into like, I'm honoring God by saying this thing at this time to this person as almost like to point them towards the truth or to, to provide some testimony. Again, really good motivations most of the time. But I think sometimes people don't know what to do with that because they can't really, especially if you're saying, well, scripture says, or what God has said, sometimes you can put the other person in a situation where it's like, not only are they under the weight of their own experience or question or doubt, but then the person that they're confiding in meets them with an answer from God. And if it doesn't resonate, then there's the weight of that, this answer not, not resonating. And so you just kind of like heap on <laughs> these burdens um, out of a good place. But I think it's, again, goes back to presence. Like if we were really trying to track with the person rather than say what we think we need to say, would our words be different? Would we even have the words? And I think that's a wisdom issue. That's a discernment issue that happens in relationship, learning to know how to hold each moment and then, and then going from there. Yeah. Well, I can, two thoughts. First, I think I definitely have experienced that from you in conversations, sharing difficult things. I definitely have seen you embody this practice of not just immediately jumping to the answer, 
sitting in the moment, asking questions, maybe sharing an experience that you have that might resonate, but not in a way to detract from the experience of the other person that you're sitting with. And so I think you definitely embody this for sure. And then it also kind of sounds like we jump to this need to have the right answer to provide for our hurting friend or brother or sister because we've been told that's what we're supposed to do. It's what good little Christians do. So if we were going to change that, even just starting with ourselves, how, how would you recommend going about doing that? What have you done to make that change in your life? I think you bring up a good point. I think it's because not only we may have been told to do that, but it's been modeled for us. And so I think that the more something has been modeled for us, even if it might not, even if there might be something inwardly that senses, I wish I were being cared for in another way. If that's all that's been modeled by like our mentors specifically within the church, there's a sense of like, this is how I relate to other people. Um, And then it just keeps getting passed down. And it's not until we have, you know, at least one, but probably more encounters of something else where, you know, you have that pastoral moment or you have that moment of like, I feel like whole, like cared for in this holistic way that I've never experienced. You start to pay attention to why is this different? And then from there, you know, taking what you've received and then attempting to be that way towards others. I almost, that's, I think that's like the only path forward because if you tell someone like practice presence and say everything that we just talked about, but it's never been an experience for like as a recipient, I think it, it'll just stay here <laughs> and then we've made no progress. Yeah. So I do think it's just, it's paying attention. Like how do we spread it? I think it's paying attention to those moments where we have that space to respond in a different way and then see how that person who's sharing what that does for them. And then if that's transformative, then they may turn around and be that way for someone else. I don't know if that, if that was quite the answer to what you just asked. No, but. I think it sounds like it's very important. And you've been saying that a lot, just paying attention and, and paying attention to the mood of the room, paying attention to the other person speaking, paying attention to what's happening in our heart, in our gut, in our brains. And maybe it does sound like the right thing, but I'm reacting to it negatively, maybe. And why am I reacting to that negatively? Maybe that is the right thing for a different situation, but it's not the right thing for this situation. And being very aware of what's happening, as you said, holistically in our whole selves, in even in situations where this embodiment thing might not be happening and why why am i why am i uncomfortable here what what would make me comfortable what would make me or even not comfortable comfortable is not even it's not even about comfort i think cuz what you shared probably today 
um, with your pastor friend is probably not, it probably wasn't comfortable what you shared and what you were going through wasn't comfortable, but it was healing to be in the presence of someone who was just sitting with you in it. We need to do this. We need to model this for others. And we learned bad habits of having to have the right answer for every situation. And we have to unlearn them. We have to, we have to be comfortable not having the right answer and, and not being afraid of sitting a little while in disquiet and discomfort and in doubt because we don't have the right answer. One thing that came to mind as you were talking is I like that word healing, like a healing moment, healing experience. And then, um, and then the word openness came to mind because I think if we pay attention to any type of conversation with anyone, whether it's really like layered or whether it's superficial, um, you can tell, I think, I think we can tell if someone is opening up more or if they're closing down. And I think that to get to that healing moment, someone has to be open. Like it has to be an experience of an opening and not a, and not a closing. And so if we can even pay attention to that in our conversations and then critique the encounter, um, why might this person have been closed in this encounter? Or, wow, I was really surprised by that person's openness. And do recall, you know, what did I say? What did I ask? And just to gather, like, again, gather information that sounds very ahead, but gather information for future encounters. But I think on a very simple level, is someone opening or are they closing down? And if they're closing down, you could be saying every right thing. It's not for the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not going to be beneficial. And again, I mean, I, you know, I'm even hesitant in saying it's not going to be beneficial. It could be. Who am I to say? I think the practice, though, is to start to relate to one another in a way where there's more openness than, than shutdownness. I have hopes for the church to be the most open place, the most healing place, the most welcoming place, the most comfortable place to be uncomfortable in the world. That's what I want for the church. And I feel like we're really far away from it. But I do think that this idea of embodying, embodying your belief and being open when you're sitting with people is a huge step in that direction for sure. I do think that when I just think of Los Angeles and different people we encounter as we live, you know, I do think there's a difference. So I guess this is not well thought out, but it came to my mind is, you know, say we belong along with a few of our friends to a specific church and we frequent X coffee shop every day. And there starts to be a sense of like response to us as like, we're so joyful or pleasant or gracious or, you know, whatever it may be. And then it's like, you know, where it comes up that we're all part of the same church. Now, I think 
five years ago, I would have been like, yes, like that, that's really great to give a really good impression for like people of a church to give a really good impression to someone who doesn't, who's not familiar with the church. But I think it's a little more nuanced than that. Like, I think it's more than just like, these people have good energy. Um, I used to be offended by that. If someone's like, like, you have really good energy. It happened all the time. And I would be like, should I say it's because of Jesus? I never did that because it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't feel like that was appropriate. But in my mind, I'm like, should I say that? Like, am I a bad Christian? Cause I didn't attribute my good energy to Jesus. And I just, that's so true. Oh my gosh. But I think what it is, is like, I think it's beautiful if you can look at people who are part of a church and see the thread, you know, talk about the thread, just see this thread of light, presence, peace, um, layer upon layer. And I think if that's what people are catching and paying attention to, I think I love that. But I, I think it comes in all different seasons, all different moods, or else it just feels like maybe we're just in good times and those people are drinking really good coffee and they're super cheerful and it's more of like a, that's their disposition. Um, but I think when you are allowed, like the, the more you build relationships and the more that you can see people be givers and receivers of, of life on different levels, I think that's what will gain traction with someone and what may make them curious as to what may be different. Um, but I think a lot of the times it's like, it's a cheeriness or it's something that feels very like superficial that people like, because I think people like lightness and brightness better to like melancholy, but I don't think it's enough to, to make people stop and wonder like what's different in this person's life that I may want for my own. Um, I just don't think we're close. Like I really I really don't um, until we're curious about the other person. And so I think that that's a word that's been a challenging word for me lately is curiosity. Um, And to practice that curiosity, especially if, if I'm being triggered by something or if I disagree with something. Um, But I kind of just think that's the way. And I think questions are the way. I think questions are really good questions can build really good relationships. The Uncertain Podcast supports tearsofeden.org, which is a community and resource for those in the aftermath of spiritual abuse. You can subscribe to the mailing list by visiting tearsofeden.org. And if you know someone who would benefit from the resources or from this episode, feel free to share it with them. Thanks for being here. Mm -hmm.